0: Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. Oh man. What up? <laughs> <Moving> <laughs> what up? And welcome to Or Whatever Movies.
1: That's not bad, actually.
0: <laughs> I'm your co host, Iris, and I'm here with my
1: old brother. Wait, who should I do then? Not Mia Wallace,
0: Sam Jackson. <laughs>
1: Wesley, motherfucker.
0: <laughs> and, we're t- and today we're talking a movie from 1994, for reals. Pulp Fiction, available on HBO Max.
1: Pulp Fiction. I'm going to argue the most influential movie in the last 30 years of cinema. Name a movie that's completely changed cinema more than Pulp Fiction. I'll wait.
0: First of all, I knew you were going to film bro me. And secondly, I cannot perform this analysis considering this is the first time I've seen Pulp Fiction.
1: And so that's why we're discussing it today. I edited it out of the People Under the Stairs discussion. Uh, Not the statement, but your response when I said that the people under the stairs was Ving Rhames's first of two leather-suited gimp in the basement movies, (laughs) and what you said at the time—you were mystified—and I was like, "You forgot about Pulp Fiction, dude!" And you said, "I had never, you had never seen Pulp Fiction." We had to remedy that immediately.
0: I had never—I hadn't seen it in its entirety. In one sitting.
1: And then we reviewed Dutch and Dutch is, uh, and, you know, because we reviewed Planes, Trains and Automobiles last year. What's a good Thanksgiving movie? And you're like, we should do Pulp Fiction. So here we are. (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving.
0: A firmly adult family fair for Thanksgiving, but a feast for the cinematic senses, eh?
1: I mean, what do you say about Pulp Fiction? I don't know. We can't. Is it it even worth our time to go into film analysis? We just got to talk about our own experiences.
0: Okay, that's fair. That's been our approach pretty much all along here at or Whatever Movies. Well,
1: I mean, for the classics. I mean, there's no no one who doesn't know this movie, doesn't know the dialogue, the trivia.
0: Except for me. You have to keep in mind, this is a very this is very fresh. I have to look back at how this potentially re- reflects in cinema.
1: Let's hear it. What did you think of Pulp Fiction?
0: Well, I know that because Pulp Fiction is so influential and by many super fans and, and film bros like yourself, beloved, it's easy to poo-poo it, right? And I don't want to fall into that trap. Of being like, oh, nothing happens, or oh, it's boring, or oh, it's postmodernism vacuousness. <laughs> Although it's kind of some of those things,
1: right? I mean, I did. I could have gone into this review blind, but I put it on and I've seen Pulp Fiction more times than I can count.
0: Really? Ezekiel 25, whatever.
1: Ezekiel 25:17 The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers, and you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. <laughs> I lo- Misquoted <laughs> l- later on in the diner scene um, where he's talking about just thought it's some some cold blooded shit to say before you pop a cap in somebody, right? Yeah. He says, you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance on you. Whoa. Which I thought was weird.
0: Interesting. Subversive meaning.
1: Yeah, it's... Um, it's not directly quoted from the Bible, from that Bible verse, but it is taken almost word for word from uh, some it's like a Japanese movie or something. He took that Bible verse directly from that movie.
0: Well, there's lots of different translations for the Bible. What's the best quote in Pulp Fiction?
1: Uh, um, is it the most quotable, or is it my personal favorite quote?
0: Well, I was gonna say my personal favorite, which is Zed's dead, baby.
1: Yeah, this is a whole exchange though. Whose motorcycle is this? The choppa, baby. Whose choppa is this? Zed's.
0: Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead.
1: <laughs> Which is actually the last line <laughs> of the movie. Is it? Yeah. Well, they ride out in the motorcycle, and chronologically, that's the last uh, sequence. Huh. Story-wise. And then, right, and then Vincent obviously is alive, having just done the whole debacle with Jimmy and, and Marvin in the trunk and stuff in the t-shirt for the diner scene.
0: Right. Doesn't dad literally have that same UC Santa Cruz T-shirt?
1: Yeah, because I went with him to Santa Cruz and found a UC Santa Cruz banana slug (laughs) shirt and bought it for him. And he's like, what's this? And I was like, from Pulp Fiction. And even though John Travolta wears it and they're like making fun of his clothes, it's still a Pulp Fiction shirt and he wore it all the time. Dad did? Yeah.
0: Yeah, he really did. But I never knew that that's why he wore it. He loves this movie. What are you guys, going to a volleyball game or something?
1: (laughs) Yep. So when it comes to movies like this that I've seen countless times, I'm always looking for the one thing that brings me joy, the happiness. And Raquel, uh, who played (laughs) the lady who delivered the volleyball line, who's just like a one-off. It's like one of three lines, I think she says in the movie. In real life, at the time, was married to the GIMP.
0: The gimp in the crate in the basement of the pawn shop. Yeah, like she came in to visit her gimp, her husband playing the gimp, <laughs> <laughs> in the movie, and they were like, "Well, you know, Harvey Cartel needs a niece. I mean, she's kind of the stakes, right?" How do you mean? I would say that Raquel is is something that's like true and pure and normal in this otherwise very crazy world or underworld, and some something or someone kind of worth living for. I mean, more so than Trudy. Is that the girlfriend's name? Bruce Willis' girlfriend's name?
1: The one with all the shit in her face? No, that's Jody. That's my wife.
0: <laughs> uh, not the drug dealer wife. Bruce Willis's girlfriend.
1: Oh, uh, Fabian.
0: Oh, that's right. Of course. How could I forget? You know, she's kind of like the the airhead version of it, of like having a normal life or having something that's worth living for. But Raquel is kind of like a very grounding force in this movie, despite her role being minimal.
1: I don't know. As like a junkyard daughter or something?
0: As just like a real person with a, with a kind of untaintedness or a pureness about her. You know, all what about fl- coffee shop? flanneled out and what?
1: Coffee shop. The manager, who's credited, only as coffee shop. Oh. Because he said, I am not a hero. I'm just <laughs> a coffee shop. And then Tim Roth cuts him off and like grabs him <laughs> by the neck. So he's credited as coffee shop. It's is trivia that, that most people know anyway.
0: He's trying to be a hero in like a humble kind of way. Hey, so Wes, <laughs> is Pulp Fiction a gangster movie or is it a buddy criminal movie?
1: No, definitely a gangster movie. As he said, when they're waiting for uh, Bonnie to come home, if she sees a bunch of gangsters doing a bunch of gangster shit in her living room.
0: Then all hell's going to break loose? Yeah. Someone mentioned, some reviewer mentioned somewhere, that's a total sitcom moment.
1: The Bonnie situation? Like
0: basically, yeah, Tarantino's just like subverting a situational comedy trope of like, if my wife comes home and sees all this mess, we got to clean up these beer cans, buddies. Like that kind of a thing.
1: No, I don't doubt it at all. Quentin Tarantino, his only originality is his ability to put things together in a way that's strangely entertaining and compelling. If you were to list, as many people have done, all the influences, all the direct ripoffs that may as a compilation made up Pulp Fiction, it would be shocking. It was shocking that the Bible verse was just lifted completely from another movie. So weird.
0: So weird. And like, how does it all come together other than in the mind of Quentin Tarantino? So you say this is not a I thought that this was a buddy criminal movie because really Vincent and Jules are the they're the heart of this film, wouldn't you say?
1: Well I think Vincent is a key player but to me Sam Sam Jackson steals the show in every scene he's in but they were at a crossroads they were friends yeah but they hadn't seen each other in a while he just came back from Amsterdam they had the disagreement about the foot massage and then he was all he all mad at him you're going to be a bum that's what you're going to be don't talk to me that way and uh you know, if my answers scare you, you should cease asking scary questions. And so I think they were going to part ways, and it wasn't like my buddy. I think it was more more in Bruges, and they were hitmen come together through circumstance. And they had some affection because they were watching each other's back, but I don't know that they were buds. They weren't Murtaugh and Riggs-level buddies.
0: Danny Glover and Mel Gibson? Yep. He kind of sums it up when he's like, I respect you and all, but...
1: Is they spend a lot of the movie griping at each other.
0: Right? Like they respect each other enough to hear each other's gripes.
1: It's quotable, endlessly quotable. My two favorite quotes, going back to your earlier question, are, are there's two of them. And it's one what you say at parties or in social gatherings where it's time to make your exit and you don't know what to say. For a while, it was goodwill Hunting where they're having like the awkward moment and Casey Affleck's like, I swallowed a bug and he walks away. <laughs> <laughs> but mine is from Pulp Fiction, where you're standing there and like there's a lull in conversation and it's time to make my escape. And I'll be like, oh man, I shot Marvin in the face and walk away. That and was... nobody knows what it is. It's actually <sighs> really ineffective. Yes. Because people are like, wait, sh- you shot somebody in the face?
0: <sighs> oh my God. I'm so, I'm like embarrassed for you for all the times that you've done that. Right now. Well it's, it's
1: it's a small dent. It's in my social graces exterior. My party persona. I don't know. Right? I think
0: it pretty much sums it up, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the other one is hovering over Ving Rames after the donut car crash when Butch hit him with Fabian's Honda. Oh right. And that Asian girl is like, He's dead. He's <laughs> dead. I say that all the time.
0: Uh is that the one who gets shot?
1: Uh, the one, no, there's a, the helpful lady who just happens, neither the Asian lady nor Kathy Griffin, but she gets shot in the hip and does a lot of screaming. It's like the most real person, visceral moment in the whole movie.
0: Where the violence actually has some gravity to it.
1: Right. Where it seems like a real person who would scream like that. It's not like a movie <laughs> scream.
0: She's like writhing in agony in the background of the whole scene.
1: And because she didn't actually get shot, it's, maybe it's a testament to that lady's acting ability. <laughs>
0: this cast is gonzo like how did clinton tarantino put together this cast or is it just that these all of these actors have become reinforced their own names over the last 20 plus years wait 30 years
1: I do think that it was partly because Pulp Fiction is like, oh, they were because they were in Pulp Fiction and they're a big deal now. But also they came over from Reservoir Dogs because they saw a piece of filmmaking that they liked. Uh, Harvey Keitel in particular was a big champion of Quentin Tarantino and got other people involved, lent some cachet. Danny DeVito also was a big supporter. So they brought in a few different people and Quentin's got the eye people that can do a good job. And, you know, obviously it's long been regarded that John Travolta was in an all-time career slump. Thought he was maybe box office poison. The Weinsteins who produced Pulp Fiction were really adamant that maybe not John Travolta. Because do you know who the Weinsteins had up their sleeve to potentially fill the role after Michael Madsen turned it down of Vincent Vega? Drumroll, please. A little num- nobody named Daniel Day-Lewis. What? Quentin Tarantino refused to entertain. He's like, I want John Travolta. And they're like, okay.
0: Wow. What would have this movie been like with Daniel Day-Lewis?
1: Against Samuel L. Jackson? That's intense.
0: That's pretty intense. Daniel Day-Lewis
1: lives in Redondo and wears a volleyball shirt or a (laughs) banana slug shirt.
0: It seemed to me that Tarantino was subverting everything possible from the casting to the cinematography to the... Story structure and then just the sheer randomness of what is essentially just two days, right? Or a day and a half?
1: Yeah, something like that. It overlaps and the stories intersect there, but there are four distinct storylines, but it doesn't feel like that because of the anachronistic editing.
0: How does this rank in your Quentin Tarantino, in his filmography, in your opinion?
1: I think for pretty much everyone else, it would be number one. I can't say that is the case, but it's definitely in the top three. I guess I would go top two, but I do like Inglorious Bastards. I think it's his best one. They're all good in their own way. I'm going to have to put this at number two.
0: It seems on the surface to be a kind of a lazy film or kind of lazy filmmaking. And then you realize that it's meticulously crafted. And I think that maybe a criticism for Pulp Fiction is that that it spawned a lot of lazy, ultra indie, naturalistic filmmaking that didn't have the same kind of intentionality about it. You started this review saying this is potentially the most influential film of all time or of the last you know, 30 years or what have you. I think that may be the case, but is that for the best for cinema?
1: I mean, Jurassic Park did the same thing right around the same time uh, in terms of moving special effects forwards. And we got terrible. I mean, people love Brendan Fraser and the Mummy movies now, but they stopped making those because they really started to suck. And the CG was the hardest part. And most of the remakes are, are the the cool cinema of everything from Guy Ritchie to... To anybody else, anything that when we talked about gunpowder milkshake and and all these movies right. pay direct tribute and homage.
0: Gunpowder milkshake is the pinball game version of Pulp Fiction. I think was your quote. Right.
1: <laughs> Um, it, it's not the same thing, and it would be weird and out there were it not an obvious draw on Pulp Fiction, which the influence is so vast and varied. Everyone has parodied Pulp Fiction from Family Guy to Kung Fu Panda. It's crazy. Like, Shrek has Pulp Fiction references.
0: Pulp Fiction just one of those films, for better or for worse, that has transcended itself to the level of social consciousness.
1: It's almost too cool for school, like l- liking Pulp Fiction is, I mean, for film nerds or whatever. You're not alone. Kelly Rae hadn't seen it either all the way through. Oh. Everyone has seen bits and pieces through parody. If you watch any popular culture stuff, you're going to get little bits and pieces of it.
0: I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has the same kind of tediousness that Pulp Fiction <laughs> does, but it all pays off. So you kind of forgive
1: he talked about a book that someone, a film critic, maybe it was Pauline Kael wrote. She talked about a movie where there was minutia happening or it's like everyday like Americana kind of life and this humdrum conversation that in a weird way captured the soul, like the humanity of the characters, despite what they were saying being totally inane. And he, I'm badly misquoting that, but Tarantino like latched onto that. He said, that is what I want to do. That's what my aesthetic is, is getting to the essence and revealing deeper truths about these characters, regardless of what they're saying. Because the reality, of course, intended to be that they're talking about things that we all talk about that don't hadn't before this time had a really solid place in movies. Hmm. You don't talk about foot massages or... (laughs) It's the witty Tarantino dialogue that became so cool in the 90s and beyond.
0: What are they actually talking about when they're in the car at the 50s diner?
1: About about Antoine Rockamora. People call him Tony Rocky Horror?
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess it was continuation of the foot massage conversation. It was
1: building the legend of Marcellus Wallace, who I think at that point we had only seen from behind with the curious band-aid uh, talking to Butch. That he was capable of killing a dude for touching his wife's feet.
0: They're building up the legend, but it's also a source of conflict for Jules and Vincent. Something that they can debate about. Yeah. Where do you fall in the the foot rub camp?
1: I'm 100% in Vincent's camp. I don't enjoy the idea.
0: Like if I got you a massage, like a private one, like in your home, like you can call the shots, you would be like, no?
1: I don't enjoy being touched. I agree with Vincent that Antoine... Should have fucking better known better. Fucking wife, you don't have a sense of humor about this shit.
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, there's a lot of fun, quotable, memorable moments. You kind of string them together, and you get this fun, quirky, enjoyable film. Is that how Pulp Fiction works?
1: I really do think Tarantino is a movie fan, first and foremost. He loves movies, and he geeks out over these actors, and he's a fan. Risked a lot to bring John Travolta on. So I think when John Travolta kind of wings it and does his thing, I'm sure Quentin is, like, nerding out behind the camera and, like, all excited to allow at least for some improv, right? Sure. It's fun.
0: Because John Travolta is, like, a movie icon that he has the, the joy and the pleasure of working with.
1: Yeah, and Quentin Tarantino is no snob. He loves movies, but he likes some garbage movies. So I'm sure he was like, I loved Look Who's Talking.
0: <laughs> and Sam Sam Jackson's just a mainstay when it comes to Quentin Tarantino's films.
1: Yep, but wasn't until this movie. Uh, lobbied hard for a part in Reservoir Dogs. Didn't get it. Lobbied even harder. Almost didn't get it. He showed up to an audition and found out that he was against the guy who played uh, My Name is Paul and This is Between Y'all, whose actual name was Paul, that dude almost got the role, was actually cast. And then Sam Jackson wrenched it away from him. Yes, Quentin Tarantino, mainstay.
0: And I felt like Bruce Willis was the Kurt Russell of Once Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, I can see that until Kurt Russell came along for Death Proof, which was their first collaboration. It's almost more curious to think, why didn't some of these other actors appear again? If Sam Jackson has such staying power and Tim Roth and et cetera, why didn't Bruce Willis ever do it again?
0: He's retired now.
1: Of course. But why didn't John Travolta ever appear again?
0: Because John Travolta was reinstated and he didn't need Quentin Tarantino.
1: Why didn't Ving Rhames ever show up in a Tarantino movie again?
0: Maybe there's still time for that in Tarantino's last film. These characters are pretty likable, even though they do kind of really horrendous things, especially our two main characters. Like, why is that? And does being relatively human make it okay to murder?
1: I think Jules was just cool. He's quotable and Sam Jackson is amazing. But they were supposed to be real people wearing dumb T-shirts and John Travolta takes three craps in this movie. And every time he takes a crap, something terrible happens outside. He
0: <laughs> really does. And he always has that book with him, too.
1: I think they're meant to be normal guys who just happen to have a unique job, uh, all, which also was the point of in Bruges and uh, all the subsequent Tarantino-inspired uh, movies. But Tarantino's almost done. He says he's got 10 movies in him and Hollywood made nine.
0: Yeah, you've only got one more left. That's insane. Torrance's two claims to fame, Quentin Tarantino and Dirk Diggler.
1: I can talk about Tarantino and Pulp Fiction all day long. There are, you know, I'm not much of a dude's dude. Uh, I'm not big into sports or trucks. I think Tarantino maybe is like the most dude thing that I do.
0: I think that Tarantino either created or like reinvented the film bro. He, this is like the epitome of film bro movies.
1: There are many women who want nothing whatsoever to do with Quentin Tarantino. And yet he's completely avoided all the I mean, he's drawn some criticism, but he's never been involved in like Me Too. And they brought down the Weinstein before they brought down Tarantino.
0: So was the Gimp in Pulp Fiction? I, I hope that's not offensive. Um, like their whipping boy, like their sex toy,
1: uh, something like that. He didn't actually do anything. He just watched.
0: Well, he was supposed to watch over Bruce Willis. I'm not sure how he's supposed to be effective in doing that, considering he's, like, chained up.
1: He's just like an alarm.
0: Right, but not a great alarm when you zip up his mouth.
1: And he did start yelling, and then Butch clocked him.
0: Which, you know, Butch is very capable of doing.
1: Ironically, uh, that's the scene that Harvey Weinstein asked to remove. He said, look, Pulp Fiction is, in theory, a movie that anyone can see. If you keep that rape scene in, that's not going to be the case. And he stood his ground. He was like, well, I've lived with it for like a year. In my humble opinion, it's the best scene in the movie now, so I'm not taking it out. And Harvey Weinstein was used to getting his way and then was like, okay, just saying that Miramax, this is the first thing that Miramax wanted to cut, the rape scene. Harvey Weinstein wanted to avoid rape. That's irony.
0: It's a little bit icky, kind of like Pulp Fiction itself. There is some kind of subconscious engagement that happens when watching Pulp Fiction, and it sticks. I really, there's nothing I could say. I mean, unless you just, on a very surface level, you want to dismiss it as being tasteless. I mean, I guess you could, but that's kind of the whole point, And that was kind of the whole point of Pulp Fiction, the genre. Yeah. Like I, I can't think of any reason to dismiss this film that that can't be justified somehow artistically.
1: <laughs> Just not for the ladies maybe.
0: And it's it's great. It really is. But also it's like what is it about what is it about it that makes me hesitate?
1: Well, I would say that obviously there's, there's a lot of hard stuff and a lot of stuff that's included that's audacious and probably kind of a turnoff. But I compare it for the guys the universally the scene that the guys dislike the most is probably the one that women appreciate the most and that's Fabian talking about her pot belly and like <laughs> will you give me oral pleasure and she's like I don't give a damn what men think I want a pot belly and it's, I, w- I would wear a shirt two sizes too small to accentuate it and blueberry pie and any time of the day is a good time for pie and I was like oh god and no dudes uh, love that scene so for dudes, that's got to be the equivalent for all the other crap that women have to suffer through oh, in pulp fiction.
0: I don't know. I I can see what you're saying, and theoretically it makes a ton of sense. But I was definitely watching this film, going, "Get on a bike,
1: get on the chopper!" <laughs> like what? She stops down to start crying, and then he has to like cater to her, and he's like, "How was your breakfast?" <laughs> they didn't have the pancakes, and they didn't have the blueberry pie. I had to. Well, are you sure you're okay? and he's flipping
0: out in the car right and he's all pissed off but like (laughs) right he really does manage her so
1: well it was it was a mistake and obviously her heart is in the right place but he managed more himself right just how i mean he's a fighter he's a what did what did uh vincent call him uh palooka but uh yeah when it came to fabian he knows that he could hurt her Even without intending to, throwing the TV around and stuff, and she's like in the corner cowering, and he keeps it in check.
0: He does. And then
1: murders Vincent, and then hits Marcellus with the car. Yep. And then goes back and kills two people to defend the dude who's trying to kill him.
0: With the weapon of his choice, a samurai sword.
1: After murdering a boxer, accidentally.
0: (laughs) See, that's what I'm saying. This movie is an exercise in irony.
1: The wild ride for sure.
0: It really is.
1: Is it in good taste, Pulp Fiction? Probably not, but it's also a taste maker. But that's the but whole it's the point. It's taste maker movie of all time. I'll give you time. Hit us up at our hotline, 818 473 and I defy you. Tell me a movie that's more influential. Not a better movie, not your favorite movie, but one that contributed more to cinema for better or worse than Pulp Fiction.
0: Or whatever movies at gmail.com, or whatever whatevermovies.com, or... Wherever you get podcasts, Wes, your final rating is.
1: I didn't like this movie when I first saw it. I like it very much now, despite the fact that it feels dated. It, it, it itself, just the reasons that this movie is good is ironic. Hmm. And uh, despite the fact that it was a little bit gross, it became the height of style and cool. Even though none of these guys are really cool, except Jules, who's pretty cool, but who has a hairstyle outdated by 30 years.
0: Right. I read somewhere that that was just a PA mistake, that he was, like, sent out to get hair, and he was, like, black hair, and he got the jerry curl instead of the afro. Right.
1: (laughs) There was another version that said that he brought, like, three afros and a jerry curl, because he, like, better hedge my bets. And Tarantino and Sam Jackson, like, latched on to the jerry curl and loved it so much, that became the choice.
0: Oh, man. It's a pretty good choice. Yeah, it's also, this movie could also be known as Hair the movie
1: oh man some of the worst hair i don't have like john travolta's long hair i have i've had similar versions of that but not the same thing because it's like all short in the front mia wallace like the poster for pulp fiction is never something that i ever would have hung up on the wall because that's just a terrible hairstyle
0: all right final rating is
1: no rating see pulp fiction or don't no no skin off my ass no sweat sweat off my ass that sounds gross That sounds kind of Tarantino-ish. No. uh,
0: (laughs) No skin off my back?
1: If you want to know and understand movies, like in your case, I I feel like it's essential that you see Pulp Fiction so that you understand. But maybe not. I've been, you know, people don't care about movies. I hope if you're listening to this podcast that you do. In that case, Pulp Fiction, absolutely indispensable.
0: Really? No rating?
1: I mean, I'll give it a totally, but nobody's going to listen to me.
0: Can we, Yeah, maybe let's just go ratingless. All right. I'm down with that.
1: Yeah. You can't give this movie a boring.
0: And there you have it. A movie that defies ratings. Pulp Fiction from 1994. Available now on HBO Max. If you enjoyed this discussion, check out our other Quentin Tarantino discussions, including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jackie Brown.
1: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one of our earliest reviews.
0: Yeah, it was and 200-plus other movie discussions at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference.
1: Subscribe to the Nature Pack podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Ravelson. We're the founders of Electrocast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electrocast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electrocast.com and join our community today. Electrocast. Transform your influence. Electrocast.
0: Electrocast.